Good evening. This is Cinema 60. break out into bird calls? <laughs> That's my mating call. When I see a beautiful bird, I just can't help reacting instinctively. Do you mind if I... I do mind. I like to be alone. You're making a mistake. You'd have had a much more interesting trip with me there. Anyway, the offer's still open. Uh, one final question. You always so nice to people. Only to the vulgar ones. Hi, Bart. Hi, Jenna. Remember how when we did the first Bond episode and we were both drunk? Yeah. I decided to bring that back for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I wish I was drunk. I'm completely sober and I don't remember a thing about these movies that we watched for this episode. Can we do a recreation of the conversation that we had midway through this in which you like messaged me at like... 10 p.m. pitching a fit about how you will never watch another Bond movie ever again in your life. I was going to sabotage this whole episode and, and uh, watch all the Django movies instead. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. I downloaded them all. I was I was going to do it. It's going to be a funny joke on you. You'd be talking about these stupid Italian James Bond ripoff movies, and I'd be talking about some fun spaghetti westerns that are much more worthy of discussion. But can we take one moment and remember who actually chose these films? <laughs> <laughs> I chose them because I wanted to get them out of the way. We're doing bootleg Bond, and no country in the world produced more bootleg Bond movies than Italy. So I said, okay, we, we've got to do this. Once we've gotten Italy out of the way, we can just close the door on bootleg Bond. Never talk to him again. That's why I chose these. Agent O zero double seven. Yeah, I think it's O double seven, right? It o has double to be. seven. Yeah, they're terrible, and I immediately <laughs> regretted picking these movies, especially after coming off of our last bootleg Bond episode, which was British spy films in the sixties, which was, I think, one of our best episodes this entire season, if not the best episode, and immediately we're following it up with like <laughs> just pure <laughs> shit. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved every moment of it. I did not love it at all. Um, <laughs> one of these movies was a straight up comedy and I liked it for that reason. But the rest were total slogs. We're going to get into these films and we're going to do a rundown. And you're, you guys are going to love it. What's important here is not the movies. I'm going to say that right now. These movies are totally disposable, not worth discussing, thinking about watching at all. But what Italy was doing in the 60s, the, the Italian film industry was fascinating. I mean, we tend to concentrate on the fine Italian films that were coming out in the 60s, like really, really great movies. Like some of the best films ever made were made in Italy in the 60s, and it's easily the best decade of cinema for that particular country. But at the same time, their film industry was so strong that they were cranking out just so much junk, just like hundreds and hundreds of films per year. 
early on in the 60s, Italy outstripped Hollywood as the biggest producer of films in the world because they were just cranking out crap like this and, and Hercules movies and, uh, you know, spaghetti westerns, actually, they had a better hit-to-miss ratio, but they still, there are a lot of terrible spaghetti westerns. And they had the money to burn in the 60s, especially the early 60s. I mean, actually, the Italian film industry was uh, really pretty strong before the boom, you know, the economic miracle in, in the early 60s. But the film studios in uh, in Italy, really, the money that they had to spend was... Uh, the economic miracle was it was a big reason for that. Plus, I mean, they did what every single studio does, which is that they had a, a handful of like huge hits like La Dolce Vita, things that were monumental, internationally recognized, deep, thoughtful, beautifully made films with amazing actor, like iconic acting. And then they turned around. They were like, how do we make 500 of these <laughs> quickly? You know, and, and that's what I mean, the same thing with James Bond. Suddenly James Bond comes out. It's an international smash hit. And they were like, great. How do we make 8000 of these quickly? Well, the story really begins with the Peplum movies, the like Hercules and Samson and Machiste movies, these like fantasies set in ancient Rome and Greece. And, uh, you know, the Hercules movies in particular with Steve Reeves, you know, they were made in Italy, but dubbed into English and they were huge hits all around the world. Nobody seems to talk or think about them much anymore. And I've, I've tried to watch some. I'm not sure I've ever gotten through an entire movie unless uh, Mystery Science Theater was talking over it. But that's really like way bigger than La Dolce Vita, at least in terms of Americans watching Italian films were these Hercules movies that got started in the late 50s and and lasted up through like 60 by 65 they were completely dead and they were just cranking out hundreds of these things I think I saw that they there were 400 of these sword and sandal movies that were made in Italy in this period something like that but uh yeah international hits and they the studios had the money to Rather than spend a lot of money on a few great pictures, what the Italian studios like to do was spend a little bit of money on lots and lots and lots of movies just to fill the theaters and sort of fill the gaps because the American studio system was collapsing. Hollywood just barely made it through the 50s and the, the rise of television and uh, and all that, and, and the whole studio system was collapsing, and they were producing in the early 60s you know, throughout the 60s, really, they were producing far fewer films than they ever had before. And Italy was was picking up the slack by just cranking out all this junk. By the mid-60s, when the, the sword and sandal movie craze was fading, they started dipping their toes into other genres. The Westerns, which everyone is familiar with, was the one that had the most lasting impact. Sergio Leone with the Fistful of Dollars and everything that came in its wake. Our second episode. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. And Giallos were on the rise, too. There's a lot of horror films that Italy was making at the time. And um, by the late 60s, they sort of realized that these Giallos, these uh, serial killer thriller movies that are really bizarre, were gaining uh, a lot of popularity around the world. So that's sort of where Italy was headed. But between the, the Giallos and the, the Hercules movies, we had this, you know, 
three year period of terrible James Bond ripoff movies and and sort of comic book superhero crossover things that were also kind of in the same genre. I mean, we did Danger Diabolique and Modesty Blaze, although that was British. Feels so Italian, I guess, because of Monica Vitti. But um, in this episode, we concentrated on six movies that were very closely following the James Bond formula. But uh, there, there were a lot of films coming out at the time that sort of venture into like master thieves and master villains and superheroes and comic book heroes and, and just different things in that same genre, you know, that they've sort of mixed, recombine and created this sort of weird crossover genre. I don't know. I don't need to get into this. I just read a lot about it because I didn't want to have to think about these movies themselves. And I, I got interested in what was happening in the Italian film industry at the time. But I guess we're here to talk about some movies. So, Well, I will jump right into it with Secret Agent 077-077. And to start off with these first movies, these first three movies that are all kind of directed by the same person and all star at least the same guy. And are written by the same person, right? I think. I think. Sandro Continenza. <laughs> we also should clarify that this agent... O double seven is um, like originally all these Bond movies were just calling their hero 007, but Cubby Broccoli and those folks started saying, no, you can't do that. We own 007. So they started slapping this uh, O double seven. Yeah, they got the next on, best number. Yeah, on, on a bunch of things or 008 or, you know, other variations on that. But O double seven was one of the most popular stamps to put on these Bond ripoff films. And so uh, we're talking about a bunch. You know, we're actually talking about two different trilogies, but there are other movies besides these that use the 077 secret agent number. And these two trilogies aren't connected in any way other than like a lot of Italian ripoff movies at this time that were being dubbed into English and sent overseas. They would use American actors, you know, has been actors in, in the lead roles or never will be actors. But I just thought we should clarify that before you jumped into these Ken Clark movies. Wow. You know, Ken Clark showed up in South Pacific as Stew Pot, the most <laughs> memorable of characters. He also had a bit part in Elvis's first movie, Love Me Tender. And he starred in Attack of the Giant Leeches from 1959. So... All I'm saying is Bart. I don't know what movie you've starred in that has a giant leech in it, but are you are you sure he was in South Pacific? Because Richard Harrison was in South Pacific. I have no idea. This is literally what IMD <laughs> IMDb also says he was in Rent, and I can't imagine that that happened. But maybe he is. Maybe he is. Oh wow! Ken Clark and Richard Harrison were both in South Pacific. Can See, you told that? you so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yep, Ken Clark. The most memorable of generic white men. <laughs> this first movie with Ken Clark as Agent 0077. I'm never going to get it right. No. This is like OSS Son de Sanct all over again. Yeah. Can't say it. Mission Bloody Mary, 1965. A strong drink, a big bomb, Bloody Mary. This is 
directed by Sergio Grieco. And first off, what an amazing theme song. <laughs> that sounds like a bootleg version of Thunderball. Love it. The one thing that you will find that every single one of these movies has in common is an absolutely amazing theme song. Yeah, I would much rather listen to the soundtracks of these movies than ever have to watch them. They are all good. They are all great. And it's because the movies are so bad that they knew they needed good soundtracks. And no Piero Piccioni either, I don't think. Was oh, I thought any? he did one of them. Oh, maybe he did. I'm pretty sure he did one of mine. But... This first one is the most bootleg Bond of all of them as far as just like direct ripoffs. The plot, I can barely remember, but it's something about a guy in the U.S. Air Force gets murdered by a sexy lady with a flashlight who is like the flashlight murders him and she's looking to steal nukes and sell them to the Chinese. You know, and that in, in itself is pretty Thunderball. And then there's a lot of really boring like strip club scenes and like men listening on earpieces in the room next door and a train sleeper car fight and like duplicitous sexy women and plastic surgery fake outs and bomb fake outs and one very hairy man named Dick. Dick Malloy. <laughs> That's right. Our fake bond is named Dick Malloy. If that wasn't bootleg enough for you. You just recounted that plot and it brought nothing to mind for me. Like you <laughs> you said all of those things and I still don't remember a thing that happened in this movie. Ken Clark is such a non-entity. He has no personality whatsoever. He's big. He's he's burly. He looks like a football player and he's handsome. But uh, he's like craggly. Well, He's, he's got a craggly face. He's been smoking a little too much, old Dick Malloy. He's got a, he's sort of got a little bit of a Roger Moore thing, I guess, but he's as hairy as Connery. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad they got away from the hairy bonds. <laughs> the shinier the better. This is the one where the woman has two moles on her chest and oh, yeah. that's how then he knows to like if she is part of like the CIA with him. And then she's like, oh, I got those moles removed. Like, she's like stark butt ass naked in front of him. She's like, I got those moles removed. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, all right. And like bangs her. And then, of course, it isn't the same woman. It's like, you know, <laughs> she's mm. been taking him for a ride. That's about what I remember from this movie. It's like literally like just this whole like he gets a telegram about like, look at her breasts. <laughs> she has two moles on her breasts. And she's like. I'm a woman. And why would I keep those there? You know, like, it's just stupid. The whole thing's stupid. Great film. Great film. The second one is called From the Orient with Fury, 
<laughs> the movie starts with a guy getting carried out in an upright base container by a band of thugs because this guy's a scientist and he invented a ray gun. And so, of course, he was going to get kidnapped. So Dick is on vacation where he's beating the shit out of a bunch of French guys at a bar. Like, that's his vacation. And he gets called back into the shit to rescue this man, this scientist. So the movie is clearly, it's like leaning more into camp than the first one. But its sense of humor is just so god-awful. It's just, it's like offensive whenever it tries to be funny. There's a lot of gadgets. There's like a poison compartment ring that fires darts. And there's like a secret jewel belt with a camera and a car that like straight up just shoots bullets out of the back. <laughs> you know, like how Bond has a car that like does all these slick things, like makes the road too slick to, to drive on or like it's all of these sort of roundabout like no Dick Malloy's car just shoots straight up bullets <laughs> <laughs> machine gun style into the car behind him. They don't give a shit. They're just like, yeah, we're doing this. And from then on out, he's just slapping the shit out of various women who look like Marilyn Monroe and like punching guys out in bars. And like, that's the entire film. There's a whole scene in this film where it's just him beating up an entire bar while a Mexican tourist is like having the time of his life thinking this is a live theater performance, which is meant to be funny. And it's just so not funny. <laughs> it's so terrible it's it just comes right around to being actually funny again because it's just you're like this is just awful and i honestly i don't remember where else this goes because this is the one where i also started to run out of steam at around the hour mark and this one is like unnecessarily long it's like an hour and 40 minutes and my notes pretty much disintegrate from there it's like pretty much like he runs away with woman he hides notebook he is so hairy. <laughs> he winks at the bellboy and tosses him a coin for walking in on them in bed. It was terrible. It was awful. This one was truly bad, but the gadgets were great. The Marilyn Monroe character was Margaret Lee, right? She was having fun, I kind of remember. Yeah, when she wasn't being slapped in the face by yeah. Dick Malloy. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember anything about this. It ends, actually, it has a pretty badass ending where the, the guy gets, like, speared through the heart. <laughs> and then, like, they're holding, like, this ray gun. And, like, so it just decimates the entire ship. It's just, like, one of these, like, the, the escalation from, like, you know, oh, there's a, you know, sexy lady is being held captive to, like, the guy getting his heart ripped out through his chest. And then, like, the whole boat explodes. <laughs> so you talk about these things and... and... <laughs> They sound kind of exciting, but I was absolutely bored to tears while it was happening. There's good stuff in this movie. It's just the movie's terrible. But wait, we're going to get to that. The last one in the Ken Clark trilogy was my favorite of all of these movies, including yours, which was Special Mission Lady Chaplin, 1966. Means much and makes a man believe her love is true. This one's directed by Alberto Di Martino and Sergio Grieco. I don't know, maybe a little bit. Somewhere I IMDB says that he did some stuff there, so I'm gonna believe him. 
even Sergio couldn't take it, so he he <laughs> dropped out and, had, and somebody else had to drop come in. Dead, I'm sure. <laughs> First off, this one has the best theme song out of all of them, and the best opening. The movie opens with a woman dressed as a nun shooting up a bunch of monks and then changing into a swimsuit in order to hide. Mm-hmm. She like lifts her habit up and she's in a sexy swimsuit and then jumps onto the beach with her friend. <laughs> This isn't just and... some sexy woman. This is Daniela Bianchi, who's yes, uh, who's from uh, a um, real from Bond Russia. girl, yeah, from Russia with love. And the plot is that uh, a dozen nukes have been stolen by a man named Zoltan, who is a rich millionaire business owner who hates paying income tax. He has a whole line about how much he hates paying income tax. <laughs> And loves staging scorpion cage fights at fancy dinner parties. <laughs> and uh, that's why this movie freaking owns. It's like full of outrageous stuff and some surprisingly decent camera work, actually. This is the one where I actually, and I don't, you, you didn't like this one, but there's like some great scenes in this where like the guy gets hung in a warehouse, like he, like the thing wraps around his neck and he gets shot up into the air. And there's like a while, it's like after a wild shootout and we get this like point of view shot of Dick looking up at him as he gets strung up. And then we get the point of view of him looking down at Dick before he dies. And it's this like really good, like brutal camera angle for both, like both sides. You know, it's like the last thing he sees before he dies is Dick Malone, uh, Malloy. I can't even remember this guy's fucking name. Uh, it's badass. It's actually kind of great. And that's the one thing that really kept this one going is that like occasionally there's this really jaunty camera angle where it's not just static shot where people run through the frame. There was like some cool stuff happening in this. There's also a scene in a perfume parlor where they go into the back room and the entire room is actually an elevator that like moves up. That was cool. There's like gas chamber cars and a guy with a hook for a hand who gets electrocuted. Plus, the female characters are cool in this. Like, I like the Lady Arabella Chaplin. Is She's slick. She's like a master of disguise. And she effortlessly moves between circles. And she backstabs and kills whoever needs to be killed, you know? But she still runs off with uh, our hero at the end of the movie somehow, right? <sighs> Dude, well, here's the thing. Like, at one point, she gets thrown out of a plane and just so happens to have a secret parachute in her like drapey 60s captain, like bright orange outfit. <laughs> and it freaking rules. Like she holds her own, you know? And, and as you said, she's like a real Bond girl. But old Dick Malloy does not respect that shit because he like, here's the thing. And let's get into it now because with all of these three films, this dude is a straight up like sexual assaulter with a fetish for slapping women. Like, until they pass out cold. Like, that's all we know about Agent Zero Double Seven. <laughs> yeah. We have no idea I, who the hell he is as a main character. No, he's just a Bond stand-in. You're supposed to transplant everything you know about Bond, which admittedly is not much, onto this guy because he doesn't project anything. We don't know anything about his story. He works for the CIA. What? What else? There's nothing else to it. That's it. We have no time with him. Like when he's on screen, all he does is like expository dialogue. And then he's just like slapping a woman like that's it. Whenever they try to make him charming, he's just like a huge prick. At the end of like Lady Chaplin, when she like literally has a shootout on the beach and she does all this work, he shows up. He knocks her out cold for her own good. 
quote unquote. And then he finishes the job that she was already doing competently by herself without him. Like he literally shows that he parachutes in, punches her in the face, and then just continues to fight. It's like, it's crazy. Like, and you get the sense that like the movie doesn't even want to spend time with him. Like all these movies spend so much time with their villains and partially because they're all sexy ladies, but like nobody wants to spend time with old Dick. (laughs) No, I mean, this third one was easily the most memorable of all of them. But the problem is that it's, I was not entertained. Like I kept waiting for to be entertained by this thing because clearly it had some production value some somebody was caring about what this movie looked like and and there you know the the lead character uh, you know lady chaplin is i think probably has as much if not more screen time than ken clark and is clearly the the person we're supposed to be following and that's you'd think that would be interesting but it still was not an entertaining movie i just wanted to turn it off the whole time Dude, there's a scene in this movie where they put on a fashion show and there's this like slick red dress that's made of like motor oil or something. (laughs) (laughs) And then the woman tries to steal it because she's working for the CIA and she puts it on to steal, kills a woman and then runs and then someone shoots her and she explodes. Yeah. That wasn't a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) That was one good moment in six hours of fake James That's Bond. a missile fuel dress, Bart. <laughs> it's a good explosion, too. It's amazing, and it's terrible. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> she looks like Mia Farrow. You're like, no. She's like this like cute little big-eyed pixie-cut chick. Yeah, and she's just, she's one of the good guys just trying to help. She gets blown up for her trouble. But dude, Dick Malloy, he rips off a chick's dress when he doesn't, when he like does, when he realizes who Lady Chaplin is. There's a whole thing in the beginning where she pretends to be an old woman and he, you know, figures it out and he meets her. And she's, when she's at a society party, he comes to her room, he rips her clothing off and is like, I know who you are, bitch. Like, and it's so creepy. <laughs> it's like seriously really scary and then he later on comes up to her whispering like sweet nothings in like her ear and she frowns i can't even remember if it's the same woman but he's like constantly like sexually harassing women over and over and over again in like really messed up ways like you know bond is like a straight up rapist like we've said before and dick malloy i think that's all he is like he's pretty incompetent like everything that you complained about with man from uncle I think it's like Dick Malloy has all the worst aspects of Man from Uncle and all the worst aspects of Bond. And that's it. Like, there's no good aspects of Dick Malloy. Yeah, that's all fair enough. But you're, what you're complaining about is true of every Bond ripoff we've ever seen. Like, what fake Bond have we seen whose performance you actually like or who you think is a, is a good substitute for James Bond? There isn't one, right? What about my man Flint? <laughs> All these guys. I'm down with like, you know, the the campy bonds. Like Harry Palmer is my guy. Richard Burton and Spy Who Came In From The Cold is my idea of a, of a good Bond substitute. Drunken Bond. Yeah, there's plenty of good options. I mean, like Bond sucks. Like that's the thing. That's the thing about the bootleg Bonds is like Bond is such a shit character. You would think it would be so easy. <laughs> 
But what about your trilogy? I I don't even want to get into mine. Come on, you got to introduce all of them. Come on, we got to right, hear those theme right, songs, we, this, man. They're all good. It's sixties Bond style music. You really can't go wrong. I wish the movies could match the consistent awesomeness of of the music, but they can't. We've got uh, Bob Fleming, another CIA dude, sometimes referred to as, you know, in none of these movies in the dialogue, do we ever hear anybody say 077? I don't think. No, I don't think so. It just shows up on the posters, but only in certain countries. So we've got a completely different CIA agent who... um, Who's roughly the same guy. Yeah. He's smaller. He's played by Richard Harrison. He's definitely got more of a sense of humor. He's far more charming, which isn't to say he's charming, but compared to Ken Clark, he's the most charming man in the world. (laughs) I could stomach these three movies a lot more than I could the first three, the Ken Clark ones, because uh, they have a sense of humor to them. I mean, I still can't tell you what happens in any of them. This first one is called uh, Secret Agent Fireball. From 1965, directed by Luciano Martino. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to distinguish this particular CIA agent from any other version of Bond we've seen. He kind of looks like if Matt Damon and Ben Affleck had a kid. Hmm. He's got a receding hairline, so he's kind of like Sean Connery in that way. And all the bad guys in this movie look like fake Peter Lorre. They're Russians. Although I don't even know, like, microfilm was stolen by somebody (laughs) some scientists and the cia wants to get it from them these russian secrets so that it doesn't fall in the wrong hands and but the russians are also after it at the same time and you don't really know who bob fleming is really on the run from exactly or who he's trying to get it's all very light-hearted i wish i could go through and list some awesome scenes from this like you did with the other movies but how about the scene where um her bra falls out of her purse and he and an agent zero double seven is like that's a size 36 <laughs> <laughs> i only remember that because you uh you put it in your letterboxd review i think did i <laughs> <laughs> or i like there's a bar in this one where there's like women that are like wrestling Andy Kaufman style on stage. And it's like this burlesque club. And they're, they, as they sit, everyone there's like, there's a phone at every table and you, nobody knows who's dialing who, and you can like call any other table and the numbers are at the, on the light. So you can like see somebody sexy across the room and call their table and flirt mm. with them. They don't know who you are. I was like, that sounds like fun. That was this one, wasn't it? I mean, they use it for like, you know, spy threats, but (laughs) could have been a fun, sexy time for somebody. (laughs) There's probably a barroom fight in this one, too, because they're in every single one of these. There's a barroom fight. I mean, the best barroom fight by far is the endless one in the next movie we're going to talk about. But there's probably one in this one, too. I, I feel like that's there's a knife battle where they hold a rope. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> in whatever. Here's the thing we didn't mention is they're, they're going to like really cool countries. I think this one's in Beirut. And I think they spell it Beirut. <laughs> the Italian title has Beirut in the in the name, so it must be in Beirut. Yeah, and there's like they they like go to some like little village where they're doing like a cultural dance, and then they all start attacking Bob, who gets into this knife battle where like the two of them have to hold a rope but also kill each other with a knife at the same time. Well, he's challenging this like Middle Eastern prince or something who's protecting the woman who may or who has the microfilm and we don't know if she's evil or not and in order to get access to this woman that the prince is protecting they have to have this knife battle so uh so bob puts his life on the line it's kill or be killed just so he can reveal the location of the woman with the microfilm to the bad guys so they can like try and assassinate her multiple times or if he just left her alone she would have been fine she would have been completely safe but that's what that's what (laughs) that's what these bond guys do they bumble around and try and figure out what's going on slap some women punch some bad guys or some other guys there's a great scene where once he like beats the guy in the knife fight and he finally meets her and like she's literally crying about her like uncle or whoever the hell you know who's been captured and how she feels so paranoid about how everyone's gonna kill her she's like pouring her heart out to old bob and his response to her is literally hey you know you're a really dynamite kisser (laughs) (laughs) except in this movie it's done with the right zing like it knows it's a comedy it does. Whereas the Ken Clark movies, like that's supposed to be witty. Right. In, in these, it's a punchline. And some of the punchlines land. There's a scene at the end where he has to steal a helicopter and it's full of like whiskey and the guy's literally crying about how he's ruining his business and he's just like, gotta go. Gotta steal your <laughs> helicopter. Which he then has to like, which it's like the most boring helicopter chase ever ensues. And then he runs out of gas and literally has to stop at a gas station, tells the guy, like, fill it up with super. And like the the one thing that really made me laugh in this movie is like they cut to the villains or whatever. And then they cut back to him getting his helicopter filled up with gasoline and the gas station attendants trying to like squeegee his window and his windshields. And the guy's like, I don't have time for this shit. And he's like, all right, like, that's the best part of this entire film. Bob also uses those bottles of whiskey to try and uh, knock a boat out of the water or something. And you feel bad for the guy whose whiskey it is. His business, (laughs) Bob, is ruining. And then that boat explodes. Yeah, from getting hit with a bottle of whiskey. Uh, Well, the next one is called Killers Are Challenged. And this one is set in Casablanca, and I actually really kind of enjoyed this movie. It's so over the top, ridiculous. It has an amazing nonsense theme song. All of these have amazing theme songs, but this one in particular, the the lyrics make no sense. (laughs) I'm going to have to be generous with my theme song clips for this episode. Yeah. yeah. This one's fun because it's a, like a, a trio of bad women who are the nemesis and each woman is worse than the last. We've got Mitsuko, who's 
a Eurasian woman who was in a real Bond movie, Thunderball. She shows up twice, right? She's in three of these movies. She's in one <laughs> of the... Which As a different she, woman each time. Yeah, she's in two of the Bob movies and uh, one of the Dick movies. Yeah, she's in Mission Bloody Mary. She's sort of the nicest of the trio of bad women who you know, decides to help Bob out at, at one point and, of course, gets killed for her trouble. As nice women in Bond movies always do, they get killed and nobody cares. <laughs> Bond or Bond substitute, least of all. You've also got... Uh, I don't I can't tell you the plot, but these Bob Fleming movies are a little more interesting because it does seem to be. Well, first of all, the comedy is really laid on thick, especially in this one. And there are all sorts of changing of allegiances and and you don't know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And I always find that to be one of the few spy movie tropes that actually holds my attention a little bit and. You know, you've got this one woman who's helping him, who's like killing some of the people who are after him, but she's also one of the bad guys. And this is the one where the guy, he like gets plastic surgery and he says his wife will always re recognize him, right? He's like a scientist and he like gets plastic surgery and then like runs into a sign like five seconds later. <laughs> All I remember is that there's a really long bar fight in this one that's super comic you've just got people hanging from the chandeliers oh it's awful it's like this it's awful endless slapstick bar fight yeah you read reviews of this thing online it's like a oh, pretty so-so bond ripoff movie but that bar fight is unforgivable i loved it i love that it, <laughs> it was probably eight minutes long and it felt like 20 and i could have watched it for a half an hour <laughs> i like to make him hide in a coffin which i thought was kind of fun yeah when, when the guy who got plastic surgery and uh bob is pretending to be him when they're shipping him off secretly to back to switzerland or whatever they drug him and put him in a coffin and said don't worry we'll treat you like our loved one in a coffin or something but they also do the the james bond dummy in the bed gag <laughs> Where there's literally like the most fake and obvious looking blow up dummy sex doll version of Bob that a guy comes in and shoots. And then Bob's like, oh, that was a dummy idiot. <laughs> and he really does. Like, that's how that's how they play it. It's even better than the OSS 117 movie where that happens. And that was the best of those movies. There's also some kind of kinky S&M women stuff in this one where like. They're tying up Mitsuko and they're like whipping her for like most of the movie. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what you really liked about this movie. Yeah. I mean, kink <laughs> is good. <laughs> women whipping other women is great. <laughs> that's that's feminism. Okay. I would much rather watch women whipping each other than uh, than Ken Clark slapping him, slapping him across the face <laughs> with the back of his hand. <laughs> Isn't there also, this is the one with the, the taxi driver who's crazy and like pretty much is more interesting than him. Yeah, he's like some ex-Scotland Yard cop and uh, he's for some reason in Casablanca and will like drop his people riding in his taxi just off in random places so he can go and help Bob and whatever his mission is. That's another tr bootleg Bond trope, like the barroom fights, I think, is the taxi driver who... yeah. 
becomes the hero's helper somehow, but you never really know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. In this in this movie, he happens to be a good guy. But yeah, they just run out of imagination, so they keep playing the these same ideas over and over. And I think that that's why Killers Are Challenged was so much fun. It's because yeah, we don't we don't have any ideas. This is just as terrible as every other bootleg Bond <laughs> movie you've ever seen. But we're gonna have fun with it. You know, we're gonna play around with it. We'll let you know that we know how dumb this is. I have a lot more patience for that than any attempt to play this stuff for excitement. My favorite part is when. Mitsuoko gives her whole life for him and she gets shot in the back for him and like she's literally bleeding in his arms and all he asks her is where the bad guy is and has like nothing to say to her <laughs> he doesn't thank her he's not like oh my god are you okay he's not like oh what oh my god this is terrible he's just like where's the bad guy like he's like shaking her <laughs> and she like sacrifices her whole life she's been like chained and whipped for the last hour for him because they thought she was working with him when she wasn't but then by that point she's now she's like happy to work for him and he doesn't even give a shit and then she dies <laughs> she gets treated real bad in this movie right from the first scene like it's actually a really great first scene when the they blow up a helicopter and the the evilest woman says to mitsuko okay now call this other guy and and tell him what happened and then uh stands there while she makes the call and Mitsuko says, why are you standing there? And the, the eviler woman says, because I don't trust you. And then she says, you make the call. So like right from the beginning, people are shitting on Mitsuko. And then she ends in a really ignoble way. Well, I mean, I guess she, she sacrifices herself, but there's just not enough sadness. But that's that's okay, because they bring her back for the next movie in a much more heroic role. She actually saves the day multiple times in... Fury in Marrakesh. Nineteen sixty six, directed by Mino Loy who is the producer on all of these. He's the thing that kind of ties these all together. He's, he's sort of the guy pulling the strings on, on this particular trilogy. Um, they're also all written by Ernesto Gastaldi. Uh, I couldn't find much information on whether it was based on a series of books he wrote or, or what, because there's nothing that really ties these movies together. It's just Bob is this CIA agent who has happens to have a little bit more of a sense of humor than Dick Malloy. In this movie, they, uh, I don't know, I also couldn't find any information why they needed a different actor to play Bob in this one. Uh, it's not Richard Harrison anymore in this third one. It's Stephen Forsyth, who's like a Canadian visual artist musician guy who only acted in a few movies. And I think they just, he he's in a few movies because he's really pretty, like almost Alan Delon pretty. He's uh, got... Uh, <laughs> almost you know he's a pro he's that he's that style of, of handsome anyway yeah but like bargain bin yeah that style of handsome well he didn't make many movies because i don't think because bargain bin <laughs> i don't think it was a real passion of his uh he, he really just wanted to take photographs and of celebrities and interview them and he's kind of more interesting uh 
for what he does outside of uh, this movie than than for this movie. He's actually he's younger than Richard Harrison, and instead of being Bob Fleming, he's Bob Dixon in this, but supposed to be the same person. I feel like it's sort of doing what the Daniel Craig Bonds did, and and so this movie is going back a little bit to the beginning of Bob Fleming's career. So he's younger, but for some reason, he's also called Bob Dixon instead of Bob Fleming. Can I just say that he's called that because it's like basically like that 90s baseball SNES game that made up a bunch of American names that are like Sleeve McDickle (laughs) (laughs) and like Ray McScriff. (laughs) You know this? You they know didn't this, even like, realize that Fleming and Dixon were different names. They just no, they were just American taking name. random words that they had heard that they knew were were American, and they were like, "Yeah, Bobson Dugnut, like <laughs> that's our new Bond." Well, the other thing <laughs> to mention is that on in the opening credits for all of these movies, none of these Italians have Italian names. They're all using They're all pretending Americanized, American. yeah. anglicized names. Carl Dandleton. <laughs> The uh, the last one, Killers of Challenge, was directed by Antonio Margariti, who actually was is one of the more well known of the directors of, of these movies. But he was going under the name Anthony Dawson. But yeah, all of these directors just have their American names that they use for these productions to fool people into thinking that these are actual English language films. Yeah, so Bob Dixon, who's the young Bob Fleming, somehow has just gotten out of secret agent boot camp he didn't quite pass his last test but he's uh they need the right guy for the job to figure out where this stash of counterfeit dollars that hitler made is stashed there's some bunker somewhere that this large group of uh, international evildoers have found and are figuring out a way to get it and spread it around the world okay wait hold on they say that they have five billion dollars in 1966 <laughs> money which is impressive because that today via the inflation calculator would be about $45.7 billion, which is a lot. That's a lot of money. And I really think you're sleeping on the fact that agent zero double seven fails his CIA training course. And, and the CIA training course, by the way, which is just about him being on an island where only black people are attacking him, which is very starkly overt, considering that there's like no black people in any. I think it's like the first time I've ever seen an actual black person in any single Bond movie. Well, they're on a Caribbean island. They have a yeah, okay, but the CIA it. training course is all about black people attacking him, and then he fails it, and they're like, "Wow, you're a super mediocre spy." Like you didn't even get near the amount of seconds that you needed in order to fix this. And then they're like, Hey, Washington just called you're up and everyone pats him on the back, (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious. But at the same time, we also have seen him do a pretty good fake bond job of going through this fake obstacle course of getting this pendant from this woman and riding a motorcycle on the beach to get away from these guys with guns and anyway this movie is not quite full of the constant comedy that the last one had but it also is it takes itself not very seriously at all which is the one thing this series has going for it 
Dominique Bichero, who is the niece of the scientist in the first of these Bob Fleming movies, is back again in a different role. She's the one who steals a sample of this counterfeit Hitler money and starts spending it. And that's why the CIA is alerted to this ring of villains who's trying to spread around Hitler's fake money. And uh, she dies in some uh, unpleasant way, too. She has some electrodes that are attached to her heart, and it um, makes her look like she had a heart attack. That's the big evil weapon that the villains have in this one. I don't know. It's a lot of running around from country to country like these Bond things do. It starts in, uh, oh, in uh, Marrakesh, because this is called Fury in Marrakesh. And that's where the the villains are headquartered, but they have to get to the, the Swiss Alps to find Hitler's bunker. I don't know. Stuff happens. There's a car bomb. Yeah. Which is the dumbest part of the whole movie where like he gets a flat and then decides to open the trunk to get a suitcase out. And then he hears ticking like and it's all happening exactly 60 seconds before the car bomb is going to go off. Doesn't that happen in a OSS 1172 where the only way that uh, yeah, he's able like to, to, to escape the car bomb is by pure luck. I think that one's like malfunctions or something, which like makes slightly more sense than, than the fact that he just like happens to pull over and, and like sits there for 30 seconds listening to ticking and like tries to crawl under the car to like figure out what the ticking is. <laughs> and then and then like runs within five seconds of this bomb going off and manages to, you know, is completely unscathed. I was more thinking about his luggage. I was like, wouldn't that suck to get your luggage blown up? Yeah. And he's got a, a case full of gadgets. This is the one where it's actually, it really rips off Bond's visit to Q, where he yeah. goes to this, this factory where the quartermaster has got all of these fun gadgets that he gets to demonstrate for Bob. And he's so nasty to him, old Bob. He's like really menacing the gadget guy for absolutely no reason. <laughs> <laughs> he like shoots some shit before he leaves and he's like, that's what aiming is and like walks out. It's like, dude, he just gave you a bunch of gadgets. That end up saving your life. Yeah, like, what the hell? Chekhov's weather balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, when this gets to the Swiss Alps, he happens upon this sexy Eurasian woman played by Misuko, who he thinks is just some you know random skier that he's met on the ski slopes. Turns out she is an agent. There's a, a really fun final reveal where Bob is uh, getting away from the bad guys, his mission complete, and is going to go off with Mitsuko and uh, and have a little fling. And he says, oh, I'm, it was a real surprise when I found out that you were a lady agent. And uh, <laughs> she takes off her wig and says, I've got another surprise for you. And she's not a lady agent. It's, <laughs> it's pretty amazing that they stuck that on the end like that. It really... Uh, left me feeling a lot better about this episode and these movies that we had to watch for it than I did at the start of this ordeal. So here's what I want to know. Like, what do you want out of a bootleg bond or do you not want, you know, like I'm I, it, this watching all of these just made me think about what the point of even bootleg films are. And, you know, when they're this bad, it's kind of hard to see what the point is. <laughs> Like versus our last episode, which I loved every single movie, you know, which was kind of our anti-Bond episode. Yeah, the less like Bond they are, the better they are. 
But is that true, really? Because I feel like the thing that really like excited, I like, I like when they're campy. I like when they just have a bunch of crazy gadgets and they're just, you know, globe hopping. Like there's some really great locations and all of these that are actually much more interesting than even the Connery Bond movies. Like they're going all through these crazy, like beautiful places in Europe. Whereas, you know, what is Bond like stuck in like Tennessee for like a whole movie or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, or even when he's like under the water, it's like, you know, you don't really like, this wasn't a time where you got beautiful underwater shots. So it's like, there was like cooler locations in all of these films. You know, there were women that were of equal caliber to Bond uh, to the point that some of them were even from Bond films. He wears a suit and drinks and punches people out and womanizes left and right. So like this has everything that Bond has. And now granted, like competent storytelling is a big problem with these movies. But like and the budget is really the the lack of budget is very noticeable in all of these. That's the biggest problem with them. I mean, if you watch a Bond movie just for the pure escapism of it, like you're seeing money on the screen, you're seeing these beautiful locations beautifully photographed. But in these movies where there's not that much of a budget, where all the effects look, you know, that if something's going to explode, it, it'll go off screen before it explodes. Or it's very clear how the, these special effects are done. And it's just it looks cheap. And it's, you know, nobody's done anything to master, you know, remaster the images on these pieces of junk. So these beautiful locations don't look very beautiful because we're just seeing like some 18th generation copy of the original print. All those Ken Clark ones are out on DVD. Those look pretty good for what they were. But I know I'm with you. Like, I agree. But I also think that what made all of those anti-Bond films so good was that we actually cared about the character. You know, you really don't care about Dick Malloy and Bob Dugnut or whatever his name is. Like, you don't care about these guys. And like, even Connery, I mean, I guess Connery kind of has a je ne sais quoi about him where you think he's a really awful asshole and yet you kind of enjoy watching him work. Whereas you definitely don't enjoy spending any time with these guys. Yeah. They're just cranked out in order to fill screens, to fill drive-in screens so that teenagers can come half watch it while they're making out with each other or these double features, the second half of a double feature where people say, oh, there's a Bond kind of movie. Let's go see. Let's go see this. And, you know, they've seen something else that's slightly better along with it in the double feature. And they're like, well, whatever. Nobody's trying to make a good movie with these things. There's just Hollywood was not putting out enough product so here comes italy to fill the void with a bunch of junk and i mean bond is a i've admitted it many times that i don't really get the bond appeal i want a character who actually you know has human emotions you know it matters what they're doing on screen and so the, these movies will never work for me well i think you make a good point and you made this point actually much earlier in the episode and i and i put a pin in it because i agree that we should get these other movies out of the way before we start talking about this. But here's the thing is that I think it's important to talk about these movies because it's important to remember all the crap that came out and how, whenever we think that it's like, Oh, it's all superheroes. now, it's like, nah, dog, like this has always been, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's always been filler in cinema because at the end of the day, movies are meant to be making money, you know, like in, in any good movie that we're getting, that's also popular is like, you know, it's a blessing. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and and any good movie that gets made despite not being popular is also just like a miracle and i think it's kind of fascinating to just see how we continually these studios and producers and people with money who were looking basically to invest to gamble to make a quick profit off of whatever fad and they always buy in at the wrong aspects of these things. Like, look at, like, the superhero movies of today, like, down to this crap. I mean, it's like, they're always like, oh, what's what do people like about Bond? All right, gadgets, explosions, hot chicks. Boom, let's make a movie. And, like, there is something else to James Bond. It, they're, like, there isn't, but there is at least a couple of good decision makers in between that knew how to cast correctly or you know, know how to hold the camera correctly or, you know, knew how to come up with like a gadget that was actually clever, even if it was kind of stupid. And these bootleg movies, they get there occasionally, and but it feels like it's by mistake more than it feels like it was on purpose. And I just don't understand how like continuously throughout time to this day, we still have these like suits sitting somewhere saying like, you know, oh, it, you know, women don't like scripted movies, you know, like women only like reality. So we're going to toss out anything about women. And it's like, you have all this proof that the opposite is true. <laughs> you have so much proof. And yet, because you're just so tunnel vision about making money and what you think, and you're in, and these guys who have absolutely no idea about what a human is like, let alone themselves. I always wonder, you know, like a, the worst boss you've ever had, or like the worst corporate person you've ever interacted with and I always sit there and I'm like what are you like at home like what is your day-to-day -day like because I just cannot imagine how you get through this planet without like seeing other people as human beings and having no empathy for other people and no understanding of what actually intrigues people into the films but it's all about the dollar. These suits that you're talking about are saying but they well, fail you, have, they fail or they're like break even. And yeah, they consider I mean, that a, an accomplishment? These are made for very little money. They probably make a little bit of money. And you've got these suits saying that people will eat this stuff up no matter how good it is. Let's get some people in there. You know, it doesn't matter if they do a good job or a bad job. It'll still, like, fill some seats in a theater somewhere. And then you get people like Antonio Margariti, who, you know, got this pile of crap script called Bob Fleming, The Killers Are Challenged. And um, he's like, oh, I'm just going to have some fun with this. Like, this is a really dumb movie. And I'm let's just have some fun. You know, it's like it's the the Roger Corman American International philosophy where it's like, let's give these people a chance. Like, no matter what, we're, we're spending so little money on this thing that we're gonna, at least going to break even. So let's give these Francis Ford Coppola's these Peter Bogdanovich's a chance and uh, and see what they do. See, Corman was interesting, though, because Corman did actually take chances. You know, he was like, if you can keep it in budget, I don't care what you do. And that was a much more interesting philosophy than this sort of churned out. Like these particular bonds remind me so much of the current Marvel movie scape of films. And I know that like you like Marvel. I'm not even trying to shit on Marvel movies as much as it's like. I just think that these are movies that are bought through goodwill you know they have a built-in audience because of all these people that were enamored and charmed by the original stuff the comic books tv shows other films and you know and like like decades and decades of goodwill 
And then when they make a film and granted that are much more competent <laughs> than these are with a significant budget behind them, it doesn't really matter that they're all kind of the same film because you already have like, you know, I just want to see Iron Man or I just want to see Robert Downey. Like, I just want to see, you know, you, you already are like going in for one thing. And so it's just a fun ride. And I guess like, that's kind of what to me, these bootleg bonds are cashing in on is like, you already like bond. So they're not even attempting to like create a new version of bond. They don't even care. They figure you already are, you're the stand in for bond. You don't need to know anything about him other than he's hot and women want to bang him. And he just wants to slap those women in the face. <laughs> and, you know, and so it's just cashing in on that. But I just feel like it it's just, you know, Disney in their current iteration has hit upon a goldmine because of the fact that they have all these decades of goodwill. Whereas these Bond films, it's way more of a flash in the pan. Like you would think that they would be trying to actually make an effort. And then there are good Bond movies like, I've said like that British spy film, granted those were anti-Bond things, but they were all kind of also cashing in on the Bond craze. These were all books that were being adapted that, you know, were a very similar, if not more complex versions of what Bond was. And there's so much better films. And these are the ones that are actually remembered. Again, like I just can't even imagine that this made enough money to really be worth it, but clearly it did. Or there was just 500 failures. I mean, I don't know. I also think that they were trying to strike while the iron was hot with these things. These six movies were all made in 65, 66. The Bond craze was just peaking. And I'm sure that these suits were saying, oh, we got to get a bunch of this stuff out there before nobody cares about Bond anymore. I mean, because the rise of Bond was so immediate, like it happened so quickly that, you know, just took over the world that I don't think anybody could have predicted that they'd still be making Bond movies in 2020, right. whenever the last one was made. And I, and I think that that's a lot of it in this case, which is different than the Marvel thing where they are creating a universe where they just want to keep it going for as long as they possibly can. This is different. This is them trying to make the money while they can make the money because they don't think they're going to be able to make money from this sort of thing for very long. I think that's the big difference. Well, isn't that, I mean, that's also like universe. I mean, <laughs> I don't see any difference between that. I just think that the universe just expand again. Like they just have, they have more to work with that has, you know, already they're just aping something that was already popular in comic form and turning it into movie form. Whereas bond is much more narrow. Well, but as you said, it still worked. I mean, it somehow magically persisted. It's also such a matter of taste. I don't get the Bond thing. Millions of people do get it. I love the Marvel thing. I don't think all the movies are great, but I like what it's going for. And th those movies are great when they succeed. Somebody like you just doesn't get what the appeal of these shared universe movies is and, and what it means to a comic book kid like me. I just, I never like, I love comic books, but I never like superhero comic books. So yeah, I don't come in with, the goodwill and that's my that's my problem it's like i don't hate these movies i've seen like so many marvel movies at this point because eventually it's like somebody tells you to watch them someone sits you down makes you watch them or you just want to go see something and with friends and that's all there is to see or you know occasionally they actually appeal to me like i will i, I watch moon knight because i like oscar isaac i you know like the first iron man i liked some of the Thor movies. I don't know. Like they're, they're all like fine. I, I, you know, I don't like hate Marvel. I like watched all the Spider-Mans 
they're just cashing in. So many of them are just so, so much of the same thing over and over the same beats, the same humor, the same style, which is like a non style at this point. Like the comic books look so much cooler than the sort of like muddy colorless universes that end up getting built. And that's, that's what, that's like my real problem with Marvel, but, Mm. but that's, I guess also my problem with bond in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like I, I don't hate the world. I like, I am intrigued by it. Like when they're good spy movies, they're, they're fun. Like, you know, even good bond movies, you know, there's something about them. Like I will go see a new bond movie hoping that I'm going to like it. And half, I, I would say more than half the time I don't like it, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's nice to be dazzled by beautiful places in the world and slick suits and slick clothing and gadgets. I mean, like that's the appeal of bond to me, actual bond. Like I, the thing that really appeals to me would be more like this sort of like the person that is, who has some sort of internal like trauma or is wrestling with, with something about having this double life. You know, that's the stuff that's like great. Like that's like a great film for me. Well, that's what the Daniel Craig Bond movies are trying to do. And I think for the most part, I, I think they're the best Bond movies. I love Skyfall. You do? Yeah, that's not... Loved it. <laughs> We're not here to debate the Daniel Craig Bonds. That's not one of my... Quantum of Solace is the one I like best, and everybody hates that one. But Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, they're trying to do a dark Bond who feels bad about things sometimes, which is great. I love that instinct. I still don't think... It's turned it Bond into a great series, but I'd rather rewatch. At this point in my life, the Daniel Craig Bonds are much more likely to get rewatched than anybody else's. Yeah, I haven't seen. I mean, like the vast majority of the '90s ones, I feel like I I have definitely sat through more uh, people playing the GoldenEye Nintendo 64 <laughs> game than I think I've ever watched a Bond. Quite frankly, like I can't tell you. I like got to the point where I could not look at that game anymore because every time I went over to a friend's house, it was just like watching them play GoldenEye for hours on end. So like, I feel like that was really my, my true introduction to Bond. <laughs> you missed nothing by missing the Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies. Those are the worst of the worst of the worst. I've seen a couple of them, but I can't even tell you which. There's nothing of value in any of those movies except for Michelle Yeoh in that one that's set in Hong Kong. I mean, he's a cutie. Old Pierce. So all of this to say, great choice for this week, Bart. <laughs> but we're done. We have finally finished Bootleg Bond, right? This is no the way. We have so many more. I have no, all of these lists. It. I have yeah. all these lists that are really good. I condense those lists down into these six shitty movies, and now we're done, right? No. We have good movies we have American Camp Bond. We have British Camp Bond. We have British nobody Sirius wants to Bond. hear us talk about these things. There's I no, do. If we're gonna obsess, we about have serious some... American Bond again. This was it, man. This was the Marvel movie of its time. We gotta talk about it. We what can't about not we talk have? About we've it. talked about it endlessly for too many episodes. What What about spaghetti westerns? Let's do those. We I downloaded all those Django movies. Westerns. Let's Let's watch them. <laughs> Well, well, you know, Kiss, Mary Kill is the one that's on its way out, not the Bond one. Well, by design, I wish we had designed an end to James Bond. It's every seven episodes. We can handle it. No, we can't. We can't. <laughs> We're done. This is it. I'm replacing James Bond with Spaghetti Westerns 
until we or westerns in general you know westerns were still a big thing in the 60s it was a whole different take on the genre in the 60s and we've hardly addressed that at all why can't we obsessively watch westerns the way we watch these terrible genre movies we can we can do both nothing is stopping us from not doing both i've been dying to watch all the django well goodbye bootleg bond it was nice knowing you it's not happening we're definitely doing more bootleg bond no everyone vote please leave a comment leave a tweet leave a facebook comment leave a email leave a patreon comment and tell us that you want more bootleg bond i got all these lists man i got this like here's the thing there was like a whole agent zero double seven indian film <laughs> that we couldn't find that sounded amazing if you have that movie send it to us we will watch it i i like there were so many bonds from around the world we have a whole list of like chinese bond ripoffs japanese bond ripoffs Come on, like these are going to be great. They're going to be great. Um, well, you're going to have to find a new partner. You're going to have to split <laughs> off cinema, cinema bond or whatever you're going to call your new podcast. But I am done. If we happen to come across a James Bond like character in, in some movie that we watch later on this podcast, that's fine. I'm sure we're going to get lots of tastes of espionage and Euro spy along the way, but this was our final episode of nothing but bond type movies i put my foot down i don't understand how a man who made a list of every single movie that came out in the 60s both alphabetical and chronological refuses to watch those films but there are so many good ones that we haven't watched why do we have to watch these terrible ones we have i can't do math but we have over 30 films that we watch in between each Bond episode. You know, they changed Bonds. Sean Connery didn't keep doing Bond for the rest of his life. He took a break <laughs> from it. So can we. Why don't we take a tangential break where we do a, a Bond spinoff that is not necessarily Bond, but was brought out from Bond for a Bond episode. I can maybe get on board with that. If we head in that direction, maybe I can keep going. Like a Bond villain spinoff. Oh, I think I know where you're headed with this. All right. Stay tuned. You've been listening to Cinema 60 with Bart DeLauro and Jenna Ipcar. The theme song is Io la conosceva bene by Piero Piccioni. The closing theme is Go Go Gorilla by The Ideals. Check out cinema60.com for new episodes and supplemental material. That's cinema60.com. And follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Cinema 60 Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.